Hey, it's Lily Jamali. Marketplace Tech has a new limited series out on YouTube called Decoding Democracy. With rapid advancements in new technology like AI, disinformation efforts are more convincing and more misleading than ever. So we'll be discussing how to spot things like deep fakes, how to protect yourself from disinformation, and how to talk to your friends and family about it. As always, this fact-based journalism and vital information will be free and accessible to all. As a public service newsroom, donations from you help us take on ambitious reporting projects like this one. Every single gift makes a difference. Go to marketplace.org slash give tech. To celebrate Marketplace's 35th anniversary, we made some throwback thank you gifts you can get when you donate during this March fundraiser. We took our old dot-com era logo and put it on a sticker, a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at marketplace.org slash give tech. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at marketplace.org slash give tech. Women's health startups still trying to crack the funding glass ceiling in Silicon Valley. From American Public Media, this is Marketplace Tech. I'm Lily Jamali. Just 3% of digital health deals done in the U.S. between 2011 and mid-2020 focused on women's health. That's according to the venture fund Rock Health. Last year, PitchBook reports, women's health startups raised more than a billion dollars, which in relative terms isn't a lot. Brittany Hawkins, co-founder and CEO of Alonza Wellness, has navigated these waters. Her platform focuses on women trying to manage the often painful, sometimes debilitating symptoms of endometriosis, the condition in which tissue like the kind that lines the uterus grows outside the uterus affects one in 10 women. Often they've experienced long, long road of, I can only describe it as medical gaslighting, Their pain hasn't been acknowledged. They haven't been really supported throughout their journey. And therefore, they're just really frustrated. You go in and a doctor usually has only 15 minutes to to provide care for someone. And that's really not enough time to deliver what is needed. So they're kind of moved into the chronic pain category. And that's just not something that's easy to prescribe in a 15-minute conversation. Why do you think it's hard for people to talk about women's health? <laughs> oh, I feel like we need to unravel years and years of uh, of societal conditioning. But I think it's just uncomfortable. And I think even more since kind of things have shifted in the reproductive health space, you know, one of the pain modulators for endometriosis is contraceptive hormones that you can kind of help moderate your actual, your cycle. So it doesn't perpetuate your endometriosis. This alone is becoming a contentious conversation. You know, the second it hits the reproductive track, it becomes politicized, it becomes personal, it becomes, you know, some people might find it gross. And so you have to really read the room and realize that actually no one wants to hear your story. They want to know that it's a problem that people are willing to pay enough money to solve. And part of your task as you're seeking funding is to show potential size of the market. 
that you're trying to reach. Why is that so much harder when there's been so little funding in the past for similar startups that are focused on similar issues? Yeah, I think one thing begets the other. So, you know, if you look at research around this, specifically for endometriosis, um, in 2019, the uh, NIH, the National Institute of Health, they invested $1.70 into every uh, patient with endometriosis. And that number was $30 per patient with diabetes. So similar, you know, chronic condition, uh, not necessarily fatal, but the amount of funding is just abysmal in conditions like this and specifically in endometriosis. So it starts there. And then if there's not enough research, you know, it's more challenging to understand the market and the market opportunities. And then you see the lack of funding in the overall market, which means that the market size looks small. And then you have the fact that this is half of the population is women. And then one out of 10 of those is dealing with endometriosis. So you kind of have to look at the disparity between the two. And it is hard to show the market size if the spending already is not even close to what the need or the actual uh, size of the population is. I wonder how have things changed on the funding front since you got started? This is my third company. So I definitely feel like things have gotten better. I mean, but I think it's a, a matter of starting from absolutely nothing to something. But I think what you're also seeing is, is particularly right now in the market, there's a lot of factors that are not making people want to jump at new opportunities. Um, this is what I've heard in the market. This is not necessarily my perspective, but female investors tend to be more reticent to invest in times of uncertainty, uh, which also tends to be then that the, the companies they would otherwise invest in are the most impacted. And then women's health is seen already as higher risk. So then you're already seeing some potential, again, reticence to invest in companies that are outside of the typical, you know, heavy hitting sort of big names. Is Silicon Valley getting better at funding women and women's health startups in particular? What are your thoughts there? We need to see some, a really concerted effort on the, the sort of more systemic scale to showcase that this is not risky. It's just because a lot of investors don't understand it. It's complex. And so like many areas of women's health, it's just not a straightforward thing. So it requires them to do more thinking, more due diligence. It's a harder thing to invest in. So I don't see that going away overnight, but I do see this larger momentum, certainly. And I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that women are becoming a lot more vocal. They're becoming a lot more clear about what their needs are and they're just losing some of the, hopefully losing some of those social stigmas that have really held this back. And I think a lot of this has just been normalized for so long. So realizing that pain, your pain isn't normal and advocating for yourself in that process will do a lot to articulate the needs of women as we progress into the sort of different phases of funding. We're definitely on the, on the slow track, but I definitely have hope. That was Brittany Hawkins, co-founder and CEO of Alonza Wellness.
The chronic underfunding of women's health startups is especially stunning given that women make more than 80% of healthcare buying decisions. Investor and former journalist Chrissy Farr points this out in a blog post titled Why We're Betting Big on Women's Health. It's subtitled Half the Population is No Niche. Women generally live longer than men, but suffer higher rates of illness and disability. We've linked to Chrissy Farr's writing on our website, marketplacetech.org. There, you'll also find a post from Rock Health on white space, that's venture speak for unmet needs or opportunities, within women's health. They include combating the maternal mortality crisis for black mothers and inclusive care for queer and transgender communities. Rosie Hughes produced this episode. I'm Lily Jamali, and that's Marketplace Tech. This is APM. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.